All right, Jonathan, welcome back to another one. Um, Rory, how are you? Now. Yeah, I'm all good. You're a bit of a familiar voice and a familiar face now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it looks that way. I've, unfortunately, we missed Monday's podcast now, Rory, because obviously I spent the weekend in bed, but yeah. uh, back on my feet now. And yeah, kind of looking forward to jumping into these markets yeah, and yeah. seeing what we can pull out of it. Brilliant. Good to hear. I mean, you know, obviously a busy week coming up. We're in the middle of earnings season now starting to get in the thick of it uk inflation out today you're very a fine inflation so a lot happening in markets a bit of volatility picking up again you know traders will be thankful to see you know so yeah, yeah absolutely lots of volatility expected this week as well um so what we'll do is we'll have a quick rundown of the markets rory um yeah i guess we'll we'll talk a bit about since we're in earning seasons now let's talk about trading especially new traders how do they identify a good stock pick yeah yeah Exactly. You know, it can, often, it can often be a difficult thing. Some people find it easier than others. Some people get lucky, but yeah, ultimately there is a good skill behind that. So we'll go into cool. a bit of detail on that. Fundamentals, right? Yeah, exactly. So, cool. Okay. So looking at this quick look at, I suppose, FX to start with. Um, yeah. it's it's We've seen today, especially a good day to kind of cover FX at the moment. I mean, pound dollar seems to have kind of really dropped off today. Yeah. It, it seems to have dropped off. I mean, one of the you know the key things there was obviously UK inflation coming out you know cooler than expected. So all that's doing is just opening the floodgates really for the Bank of England not to hike, you know, as much as they thought. Everybody thought last week Bank of England were going to be between six and seven percent. Now it's looking more likely between five and six percent, you know, for interest rates. So all that's doing, Jonathan. You know, everything's now being forward priced, and that's just really what we're looking at. Starting to see a bit of selling going on there. Bonds are leading the rally. You know, FTSE 250, I think, was up over 3.5%. FTSE 100, up over 1.5%. So it's a huge risk-on rally here in the UK, you know, especially as the soft landing's looking looking possible now. You know, we, we could start to see it uh, happening. I don't think, I think it's still too early to call a soft landing in the UK, but it is potential for it to happen. Sure. Uh, I mean, price looks to found support somewhere around the 129 level there. I mean, yeah, there's a monthly S, there's a monthly R1 level just around that 129 there. That's right. So I think yeah. that's probably where it's going to pick up a bit of support. I've mentioned in the app there this morning already that 129 to 128, it'll struggle yeah. to really get below that, I think. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> uh, Euro seems to be clinging on at the moment. I think there's further downside for Europe personally, but it seems to be clinging, clinging on to them levels at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Euro's just clinging on there to that sort of 112 handle. I mean... You know, we've seen the final inflation print come out of Euro and it was, you know, 10 basis points higher than expected. Still, the core is 5.5 and the all items is 5.5. You know, the all items are expected to drop to 5.4. So we're starting to see maybe a bit of stickiness uh, appearing in the Euro inflation around there as well. So that's something, you know, that may start to drive Euro traders a bit higher. You know, Christine Lagarde has come out and said, you know, they're willing to get the job done. Uh, you know, they're fully committed to getting inflation back down to 2%. Never really mentioned anything about labour market conditions. So I think, you know, I think ECB will be there until the job's done, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to push rate hikes even further out. So, you know, uh, ECB are known for doing, you know, always doing it a tight notch, Jonathan. So, yeah, yeah they're yeah, always known great. for going over the top. I mean, personally, my, I mean, as I'm from yesterday, when we saw that kind of, we saw price hit that kind of 131 level and we saw that kind of pull back. And then again, today, that real kind of solid sell-off. I mean, I went straight, uh, to to the euro yen yeah. as you on the app i mean for me personally like 
you know, I want to be seeing those kind of big moves. You know, once you see that kind of drop off and that uncertainty in the markets, the yeah. first thing yeah. I do is look at another market, you know. Yeah. Um, but having a look at commodities then quickly, uh, gold. Um, we've seen obviously gold break that kind of weekly range there. We saw obviously we have a spike to the upside yesterday. Um, yeah. And then again, kind of price back down again. There's a lot of kind of things going on with gold at the moment. Obviously, demand in China and India uh, mm. is kind of weakened. Uh, summer months are never good for for gold just in general. Yeah. Um, but what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I always totally agree with the summer months beyond gold. You know, a lot of the places in the world, especially Canada and America, where gold is mined always during the winter months. That's where you usually see, you know, an influx of supply, especially then coming into the winter months when it's not mined. You know, that's particularly when people can get a bit more aggressive in pricing. I think but, as well, you know, we've we've seen a very, very weak dollar over the last you know, couple of days, especially, you know, from last week <clears throat> with the CPI report coming out in the US. I think that's just done nothing but help gold really rally up to sort of that 1980 level. You know, I think um, that that's really the only real fundamental driver, I think, behind it. Obviously, the things that we've covered there, are, you know, will add on to that. But I think the real fundamental driver here is just looking at the inflation sort of predictions going forward. I mean, we've seen gold... Um, you know, we said, Jonathan, I think last week in the call that until it gives above that sort of 1975 level, it's not really going to be a long, you know, it's now above that looking like it's finding some sort of support there at that 1970 level. So who knows? It could be another leg up here to 2000 in the meantime. Obviously, the only thing is risk on is, you know, the kind of sentiment in the markets at the moment. So mm-hmm. until we really see a change in that. Could we see potential maybe a leg up from there? You know. Yeah, exactly. I think we could see it run to two thousand, maybe two thousand twenty. But you know, in the in the short term, anyway, I don't think we're going to see much, uh, really much higher than that. To be honest, as you say, we're seeing risk on appetites in the market, so it doesn't make sense for money to be piling in into gold. Absolutely. You know? uh, oil. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, oil. Oil's been a bit of a funny one, but it's one mate that I've just been constantly banging on about in the app. You know, that oil's one of the heaviest fundamental drivers that's out there you know i often yeah. I, I never agree with technical traders and, and, and things like that but when people say oh it happened for technicals you know nine ten percent of the time i'll say yes maybe fair enough you're right but oil i think is just so fundamentally driven and i've said it so many times to keep an eye out we're starting to see um you know russia's supplies are starting to get cut and um, russia's shipments of oil were actually down and uh, not you know 30 basis points lower than <clears throat> what than what they were expected over the last three months and we're starting to see as well global demand as well, especially in China, maybe starting to weaken a bit as well. And we knew that oil prices at those sort of lows around 67 weren't going to be sustainable for the sort of high producing countries like the US, Russia, Saudi, you know, and the rest of OPEC there as well. So we're obviously going to see oil pushing up that high. And, you know, some of the reports I've read, especially from the investment banks, I think it's Goldman Sachs, are also stating that, you know, WTI crude be pushing up as high as $100 a barrel by September. So that's a big call from them. But you know, they could be right. They could be onto something here. Great, you know, great. Um, one of the things as well to look out for in oil, you know, to also sort of give everybody a bit of an insight, we've seen Delta Airlines report earnings last week. They're expecting traffic numbers to increase. United are actually, United Airlines are actually after the close today. If we start to see these airlines projecting a lot more passengers and a lot more revenue coming through, you know, airlines are one of the biggest users, you know, off oil and, you know, sort of in the industry apart from, you know, manufacturing. So if we start to see those you know, uh, predicting a lot more passengers and needing a lot more fuel, you know, you could start to see, um, especially the futures market moving up a lot sharper as well. And that'll obviously lead into just the um, the open market. So I think sure. keep an eye out on those earnings. Yeah, absolutely. 
um my trading view decided to crash so i'm just jumped onto my metaphor here so um let's let's have a look at uh indices obviously mixed kind of bag with european indices obviously FTSE kind of charging today yeah yeah i mean FTSE up 1.4 percent you know as i said at the start that's not really surprised given the fact <clears throat> you know that we've seen the cpi report um, sort of come out weak and expected, yeah. starting to see a softer pound. And then from there, you're just seeing the risk on rally, you know, really from FTSE. But FTSE just hasn't made the same recovery as, you know, the S&P um, since sort of mid-April there, where we've seen the highs of sort of 79.40. We've just been on a decline ever since, really. We've seen a few rallies in between, quite a, f- a few sharp rallies, that is, but it's always been followed by a strong downtrend. So now we're just kind of wondering here if anybody does have the chart in front of them. There's on daily chart, there's a 200 moving average, which FTSE seems to be struggling with just at the moment. So we're going to see whether or not it can actually close above that today or whether or not it's going to continue to decline because there is a sort of um, a death cross there between the 50 moving average and the 200 moving average. Yeah, 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 agreed. Okay, um, let's have a quick look at one or two stocks. Obviously, we want to talk about earnings season, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, we have, I mean, the two big ones today is what Tesla and Netflix. Yeah, Tesla, Tesla, and Netflix are just after the close. We've seen Goldman Sachs before the open and things like that, you know. Yeah. But a lot of the retail investors, especially, will be after Tesla and Netflix. I think they're definitely going to be the big ones uh, to keep an eye out for. Yeah, we've seen so, a we've seen a kind of strong charge in in Microsoft there. Um, actually, currently looking at a bit of a pullback at the moment. But you're yeah. you're saying that that's something to do with their um their new new contract is it or yeah a new, a new ai feature that they're looking to um they're looking to put a charge on so there's i believe it's a 30 dollar charge uh, like a monthly subscription thing so it's just going to add a lot more revenue to them and i think you know investors are starting to take it quite positively i think Perfect. but okay. you know looking at looking at tesla here as well i mean tesla's just been like a yo-yo jonathan the last couple of last couple of months really you know since the start of 2022 even if we look you know it's pretty much moved sideways it's been from 300 all the way down to 100 and now back up at 300 i mean it's a bit of a bit of a crazy journey i mean it's up nearly 150 percent this year you know it's always known for a bit of volatility but i think that's a bit of a serious move in tesla there at the moment yeah agreed um okay let's have a look at the earnings yeah i mean earnings coming up obviously um today after the close this is wednesday 17th uh with tesla netflix united ibm uh las vegas sands um, Steel Dynamics, a few other names there people might recognize. I think the rest of this week, some of the main ones, Jonathan American Airlines, Johnson, Johnson yeah. Johnson, Blackstone, and then into Friday we have Amex. Um, but it'll be really in the next week where we see the thick of it. Um, I have shared a few links before in the um, in the app where people can actually track these earnings. You know, one of the really good websites is actually uh, S&P Dow Jones. So I've shared the link there a few times and I'll share it again of you know, where people can go in and just visualize the calendar and see exactly and where things are coming but you know one of the things i wanted to talk about as well in this podcast was sort of eps and you know how it's been constantly revised down really the last um the last few months you know i've just got a chart here in front of me um and it's actually for citigroup and it's their uh eps so now their eps was actually projected to be at around 2.2.6 and that was at march this year and just before they've obviously reported earnings, it got cut all the way down to uh, to 1.3. So EP, EPS was halved, and then they came out and beat expectations. <laughs> yeah. So 
This is what's happening quite a lot in the market right now. We're seeing EPS just decline, decline, decline. And then next thing, companies are coming out and actually beating expectations. That's why we're seeing green across the board here. Like, you know, and that's why we're seeing green across the board. And and, and many investors won't even look into it and see what's happened. And this, this is something that will work on a short term trend, but you can't hide the numbers, you know, or as I always say, you can hide the numbers, but you can't hide the data. So there's there's going to be a lot of things in behind it there as well. Um, it's the same even you know from the revenue as well looking at the revenue it was just um, revised down 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 and then next thing they beat it and I think that's going to be happening across the board a lot um, I think that's going to take us into you know how, what to look for if you're starting to trade stocks which we'll talk to in a minute I think that's going to be one of the key fundamental things that you know, people need to look for it's not just taking numbers at face value just because a company beats earnings doesn't mean it really beats them you know sure I mean that's I mean Again, for a new trader coming in, looking at these estimates and looking at potential stock picks, you know, there is so much more uh, under, underlying than just, you know, the, the front numbers, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose that kind of leads us into into it, really. I mean, how to start trading stocks if you're if you're not trading stocks at the moment or you're kind of new to trading stocks, you know, you're you're very familiar yourself. I mean, we mm-hmm. have a you have your own you know portfolio on the app. Um, yep. It's going quite well. Um, and I think it's a good opportunity to kind of help people in their positioning um, if they are starting to look at, you know, buying buying certain stocks at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole rationale behind putting, you know, the portfolio on the app. There's not too many people out there, Jonathan, that, you know, have like a portfolio that people can, it's not necessarily to copy the ideas from, it's more to copy the structure of how to actually have a portfolio and how to manage it and how to update it and things like that. And, you know, I shared it on the app and people in the portfolio management section can go in and look at it check what the holdings are, check what the weightings are, seeing what's moving in and out. And I think, you know, we initiated it, was it the end of April we initiated it? And it's already up over 9%, you know, near 10%. It's beating the S&P and it's beating a lot more indexes out there as well. Um, One of the key things with it is, you know, without going off on a tangent, is it actually has a very, very low volatility, um, believe it or not, and a very low standard deviation, but quite large returns, which is quite unusual. So, and that all goes down to the stock picker, which is myself. So congratulations to him. For that. <laughs> Give yourself a tap on the back there. Yeah, we tap on <laughs> the back. But I mean, that's one of the best ways just to learn how to, you know, construct a portfolio. Get in like that. If you know, talk to us in the app and see. But I would just sort of run through now really what I look at when it comes to picking a stock and you know and doing things like that. A lot of people think it's just um going on looking on, you know, the um earnings whispers there, going on to Twitter or Dow Jones, seeing what companies beat. And then just starting to buy them, you know, but what, one of the first things I do is kind of come up with an idea. And usually these ideas actually come up in the shower or, you know, when I'm out for dinner or on the train, just anything like that. Looking around what, outside. What you think about in the shower, Rory. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's what it is. <laughs> People might be thinking of different things and I'm thinking of trade ideas. <laughs> but it, it is, it's, it's simple things like that. You know, you pick up a bottle of shampoo and you think, well, you know, how many times am I going to need this over the rest of the year? Well, I'm always going to need it. You know, so that's a staple and that's something you can start to buy into. And sure. you look out over across the skyline of London, you see construction and you start to think, well, that building hasn't, you know, that hasn't moved in a long time. There hasn't been a lot of people around it. It's construction starting to slow. And these are the type of things that go into my head um, yeah. while I go down. So what I do is you use a stock screener from there um, go through a few of the industries and some of the industries that I want to go long or short on and then filter for it. I also use the ISM. It's great. Uh, we're not talking much about it on the podcast because I'll save that for the app because the guys in the premium section actually um, have access to that. So we'll leave it there. So if you want to know more about the ISM and creating trade idea generations, um, go and check out on the premium section. 
But once I have an industry, I filter for it using a stock screener, uh, usually downloaded from Bloomberg. And then I start to go in and I do like a quantitative outlier section. So I'll maybe look at different things like uh, EPS, EPS growth, price to earnings, peg ratios, you know, sales multipliers and sales growth, things like that. And whenever I start to get something favorable, I'll then look at it in the section and say, well, you know, that stock's got really good sales growth. It's got really good EPS growth. You know, this looks like a good, strong uh, buy idea. I also like the filter as well for um, market cap because I don't like to buy a company, Jonathan, that's worth maybe, you know, 100, 200 billion, you know, something like that. It's it, it's nearly too big. And the reason for it is because you don't really see a company at 200 billion double overnight or double in a week. You know, it's, it, it's quite difficult. I like to kind of buy something a bit smaller down the line, especially if you're looking at high growth. And then once I kind of do that, I look into the quantitative analysis, looking in, you know, where do I think the price target's going to be? Where do I think that sales are going to be in the next year or two? Earnings growth's going to be? Things like that, as well as just comparing the sector. So getting all the companies within that sector. So for example, if you have, if you're going long on somebody like, um, you know, United Airlines, you might want to get Delta in there. You might want to get Southwest in there. Uh, you know, you might want to get all these other regional airlines as well, and maybe even look at European airlines. Build all that in. Look at comments on the business, you know, what did the business do? How did they make their money? Looking at the KPIs, things that are driving revenue, what's driving earnings, as well as then looking forward, any catalyst that might be coming up, is earnings coming up? Are they announcing, you know, let's hold on to the example of an airline. Are they maybe announcing new airplanes? Are they announcing job cuts, you know, new routes, for example? Just looking at all these different things that could spark a bit of momentum in the stock. Sure, uh, fundamentals, essentially, right? Yeah, looking at fundamentals. I mean, one of the big things for airline is, you know, looking at oil prices, you know, so what you want to start to do is really focus on on the OPEC countries and what they're saying. So that can, you know, you can actually be all the way around the block looking for news just to back up that idea, you know, five blocks away, you know, so there's a lot of different moving parts really that go within that. And I think a lot of retail traders tend to forget that. Well, look, um, I mean, with just on that, Rory, I mean, like, look, um, as, as you and I both know, right, from being day traders and also being, um, you know, having our own portfolios and so on. I mean, there, there is a, a quite a big difference. I mean, there's a lot of correlation between day, uh, trading in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a good starting point anyway for anybody, but yeah. there's a lot of correlations. But there's also, you know, the fun, that's where the fundamentals really come into play when we come into stocks. Obviously, again, like you said, you're building a bias from your own, you know, just from just just thinking out loud to yourself almost about what's going on around you. You're building a bias as you would if you were going to buy into a currency pair, for instance. You're still buy, building that bias, right? And yeah. then you're building then the fundamentals around it. So again, when we look at fundamentals and we we talk about top to bottom, up to top kind of analysis of these. Mm-hmm. This is what you're talking about. We're talking about cash flows. Yeah, we're, we're yep. obviously talking about EPS, um, obviously, which is earnings per share for anyone that doesn't know that. Um, and really just trying to collate as much information as possible. And the other side of that then is as well, how much would you look into the person who actually owns the company itself? Or does that have a factor in, in it, your decision? It, 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 it'll it have a very, very small factor on it. it. It depends who that person is. You know, I mean, usually when there's a, a change of management, sometimes um, that can do it. I mean, I'll not go down the rabbit hole, but sometimes you look at things like, you know, turnaround stories and things like that. So the stock, Jonathan, that might be down 60, 70% from the all-time highs, maybe even more. They're announcing new management. And then I sort of look at it and say, well, who is this new manager? Where's the CEO come from? Who's the new CFO? And if these are people who have track records, Jonathan, of turning companies around, I'll list them all, all the companies have turned around, all the industries have turned around. And that again is just another bias. You know, I don't go into too much detail if it's a normal trade idea, for example, let's just you know go along the lines of United Airlines. The um, 
you know, the CEO has been has um, changed a few times, and I think it's changed hands recently. But it's not something that's going to be major to a stock. That's one thing just to reiterate. It's not going to be a major change. So, so can you just re- repeat that one more time for me? We just actually got cut off there, so I can just. Oh yeah, sure sorry. So that. L- looking at looking at like uh, who runs a company isn't going to be a major thing to sum it up. It's going to be a major thing for a turnaround story, which is a completely different ball game to try and you know introduce into portfolio. Something that I will introduce into the app very soon is how to trade turnaround stories and uh, sort of bear traps as well. So just having a look at that is probably the only way I would look at um, management. It's funny because, you know, most new traders, stock pickers, if you like, they want to come into the markets, so probably the first thing they're going to do is they're going to they're going to look at <clears throat> their influencers, if you like. We look at Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at, you know, all, all these kind of guys that are more prominent um, within these kind of blue chip companies and kind of yeah. want to follow along on that basis but really i mean it's we're not saying i'm not saying it's a, a bad thing to to follow these guys by any means but like i suppose like you said rory i mean in terms of expected earnings and growth in terms of these companies you know there's there's a lot more value within them kind of mid-level stocks and yeah you know yeah. a lot more growth potential there and again it's about balancing that right so there's there's how much it's in terms of your your, your risk i mean so let's say you have an idea you like the the, the you've done your fundamentals in your company you're looking to go you know buy into that company what about your risk parameters as opposed to obviously a lot of people know how their risk parameters when it comes to an fx trade or, or a cfd trade in terms yeah. of your risk parameters how do you you know in terms of your exposure um not only just on one but your portfolio maybe you could yeah. tell us a bit about that yeah there's a lot of different ways you can look at it you know sometimes you maybe have more of a you know a high commitment trade and you might have a mid commitment trade you obviously have to be quite fully committed to them all but there's going to be some that you're going to have a higher level commitment to than others and those might be the ones that you put a little bit more risk on for example right and so are, you, from, are you changing your your portfolio often or are you kind of holding sticking and holding with your decisions you, you kind of you kind of it, it depends on what sort of trader you are i mean there's a, there's a lot of different people out there jonathan some people like to just go with the buy and hold strategy and the portfolio that we have on the app is, is more down those lines of buy and hold yep. so they're just buying until we make the money sell We'll look for a new idea, buy and hold. You know, the portfolio that I personally run is actually long short. So it's quite adaptive to markets. It's always changing. It's, you know, positions are only run from one to three months. You know, we're, we're always looking at changing positions. I'm always looking at trying to find where the best value is and trying to be nimble. Um, as I said, the portfolio we have in the app might, it might go through a lot of downturns, but ultimately in the end, after a couple of years, it will be up. And that's the game. Whereas what I'm looking to do is, you know, buy all the dips and sell all the tops. Pretty much that's what I'm looking to do. But getting them back to the track of, you know, in terms of risk management, one of the things to look at is say we have an idea and we're, we're highly committed to it. And we're, you know, we, we think that this is going to be a great idea. I wouldn't risk more than usually 10% of my capital on one trade. And it depends on how many ideas you have in the portfolio. If you've, if you've $100,000 and you've 10 trades, uh, then you might want to, you know, look at $10,000 per trade. If you've 20, 20 trades you're looking to take, sort of 20 stock portfolio, then you're only going to want to have a maximum of five. You also have to remember you need a bit of cash on the sides as well because um, as much as stocks are classified as very liquid products, sometimes it can be a lot harder than you think getting in and out of you know stocks. So you might have a 20-stock portfolio. You might be um, fully committed, uh, all the capital disposed, and then you think, shit, there's a really good idea. I need in on it right now. I've no capital. You try and sell a few positions. It doesn't happen. And next thing, you miss the boat. So you always need a bit of money there on the side. So I would always say no more than sort of five to seven and a half percent of your capital on one trade. But it's a very um 
it's definitely a very dynamic thing talking about risk management in absolutely terms of- and on the other side of that is obviously profit taking right yeah. so you know what are the factors between you actually taking a profit on that specific stock um you know as much as we want to look at risk management i think it's equally as important to understand when we get out of these trades as well right yeah, and again, again, that's quite a dynamic thing too. Because I mean, if you're if you're trading options, which you know I tend to do quite a lot as well, sometimes you have no choice but to take profit because your options are expiring, so you're just given the profit, yeah. which is sometimes a good thing. Sometimes what you can do if you're really interested in trading is roll the option over, push the expiry date even further, and say, you know, hell, hell for it, I'm going again, which is completely fine. But I think one of the things you have to do, Jonathan, is when you're creating this idea, and I've shared the template a few times, and you know, we'll do a live video on the app about it. But when you're creating this idea and you have a price target, whenever it gets there, you have to get out. You know, if if it's up, if you set your price target, if you're getting at 100 and it's got up to 150, you know, you then have to look at it and say, right, am I getting out now or am I going to take profit? One of the things you can start to do is take your profit and then buy back in again if the fundamentals are still strong. You know, it is all about letting the winners run and, and sort of cutting the losers short. But at the end of the day, you do have to take profit somewhere. Sure. Yeah. And, it, and in terms of somebody who's looking to get into, into this, let's say, uh, in terms of obviously the one good thing about trading stocks is kind of obviously it's less, less time consuming after you've actually made done your backend analysis and so on. But, you know, does it, do you have to change, would you say you'd have to change your portfolio on the basis of how much you can actually keep an eye on it? Again, we've, you touched upon the one we have in the app where you can kind of, it, it obviously it depends on, on, on that person in terms of what they're looking for out of this. Are they looking for short, medium and long-term gains obviously as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. You, you have to look at what sort of time horizon is going to suit you. If you're, if you're going to run a portfolio, you know, one to three months maximum holding positions, you know, say you have 12 stocks in there, Jonathan, you're probably going to need to have another 12 to 18 at least on the watch list. So you're always yeah. going to have constantly ideas going there. But if you're maybe like uh, the one we have in the app where you just want to have a buy and hold strategy, you might just put, you know, 15 stocks in it. And then every single week, you might try and generate one idea just to put it on a watch list. And after two or three weeks or Six weeks, whatever, if you think, well, you know, hell, that stock there isn't moving much. That's not doing anything. Um, you know, That's just complete tumbleweed. Then you might want to take it out and replace it. Or you might even just want to add another one inside, reduce half the exposure on that and slide the new one in with the remaining 50% exposure. Absolutely. And in terms of obviously expectations, profit expectations, um, obviously that's that's another thing for people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, obviously my day trading is my day-to-day money that I'm trading, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, my portfolio is my pension fund as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Do you know what I can away? Yeah. I mean, I think that's important for people to understand the difference. Um, mm-hmm. I think if, if, if people are looking for um, that disposable income and that kind of trading, for sure, you know, trading is, is, you know, is certainly an opportunity for that. But if somebody's looking for longer term gains, somebody's looking for that, that, you know, that, what would you say, the, you know, the, like that kind of a fund, if you like, do you know, like in a way that you, you know, that that's going to be sitting there still yeah. in, you know, 10 years, 20 years time that, that they're still earning you money. Mm-hmm. That's the difference, you know, and that that's the big difference between retail trading and, and again, and, and looking towards that more institutional look. Yeah. And as well as that, you know, you have to have the realistic expectations as well. You know, so many people have a portfolio, Jonathan, think that they should double it every single year. Sure. You know, and that's just, for me, just complete nonsense. You'll not have a portfolio that's going to double every single year. You know, unfortunately, one of the things that, you know, um, as a portfolio manager is that one of the things you're against is actually volatility. You know, if if you're trading in a market that's not very volatile, then you can't expect big returns because if, if stocks are just moving sideways, you know, it's it's nearly impossible to make money. You know, that's, 
that's one of the things about it. So sometimes you just have to take what you're given. And when you get markets, uh, which, you know, have very high volatility, sometimes that's why you'll see a lot of, um, you know, fund managers get quite aggressive during times of volatility because they're sitting like a, nearly like a lion or a tiger. They get very, very patient. They sit down for ages until they're starving. And then all of a sudden a bit of volatility comes and they're either, you know, they're either the prey or they're preying on something. Sure, you know? sure, absolutely. But look, at the, at the end of the day, I think you have to put it into perspective in terms of, okay, I'm not not going to get the earnings from this uh, as maybe I would expect, but you're also not exposing their, yourself to to as yeah. much risk. So, you know, and that's the other side of day trading. And, you know, you're obviously exposing yourself to more risk, but you're obviously potentially getting more gains as opposed to, you know, you're looking for a longer term, uh, you know, minimize your gains, but obviously minimizing your risk at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And it all just comes down to your risk appetite. I mean, if you if you have a bigger risk appetite than most people, then of course you can, you can, um, have a better upside, you can take that more risk and feel more comfortable that that's completely fine. But if you don't have a, maybe a good risk appetite, Jonathan, maybe something you can do is looking at hedging positions and, and things like that, which yeah, you can yeah. just rein on and on your stops and um, having that smaller downside. Yes, your upside's also limited, but you know it's still it's still going to be good at the end of the day. It's going to be better than your money sitting in the bank. Just before we finish up, Rory, that's just, um, just to talk about hedging your, your positions, maybe just explain to users a bit more or listeners a bit more about you know how to to hedge your positions in the right way yeah there's a few different ways in which you can do it i mean um depends on what you're hedging for example if you have a stock for example you know a lot of the one of the most common ways of hedging is actually through options so a lot of people might um actually might buy the stock and might sell sell a call or things like that or if they're doing an options a trade what they can actually do is do maybe a spread trade and things like that. If they're doing something like on an FX pair, for example, um, one of the key things that people actually do, Jonathan, I know a, you know a guy at home that does it. He lives up in the north, so obviously has in Ireland. So he has a, a sterling bank account, so it's GBP bank account, but he works in Dublin. So therefore he gets paid in euros. And one of the things that he's doing is saying, well, you know, if you're if the, if the euro starts to tumble, I'm technically going to get paid less every every year. You know, so even though he's getting a pay rise every year, if your starts to tumble, he's getting paid less. So what he might want to actually start doing is hedging that. And because he's buying in euros technically, he might want to actually start selling it and going short to try and make a profit on it. And then that, what he could do at the start of the year is pretty much hedge himself out. Yes, he's not going to make more of euros all of a sudden rallies against pounds, but if it actually starts to fall, then he'll not start to lose anything. So that's one of the most common ways of doing it. And usually it's mostly businesses that do that because what it does is it strips out the volatility uh, and things like that. But sometimes to strip out a bit of volatility, you could, for example, let's say you had, you know, a thousand pounds worth, you could maybe just short half of that. So you're not doing the full exposure. So you're leaving yourself with some volatility. Sure. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, look, Rory, let's wrap that up there. Um, before we do, I want to ask you one question. You had yeah. a match there uh, over the weekend. Yeah. I want to know, did you win? I, I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> just about so yeah. I, had a, I had a golf match on friday night or saturday friday or saturday night had a golf match and um, stood up on the first hole uh took driver out and put it straight out of bounds <laughs> walked straight to the second tee so i was one, I was one down through one and then second hole was a par five made a birdie buried the second third and fourth actually uh, to get two up and then that was all fine from there so it was smooth enough still beat three and two in the end so it was good good result I look forward to kind of catching up with you and actually getting the game. Yeah, sounds good. Can't wait, mate. All right, buddy. All Take right. Care. Have Let's a good see. one. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye-bye now.